ReachMD XM157 presents a special series, Insights in Future Medicine. There is a huge opportunity to improve the outcomes of stroke victims by reorganizing our health care delivery system. To provide access to acute stroke care in highly specialized stroke centers in similar ways that heart centers mobilized 25 years ago. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. You are listening to a special segment on future medicine. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Christopher Cates, Assistant Professor at Emory University School of Medicine and the Director of Vascular Intervention at Emory University Hospital and Crawford Long Hospital and the Medical Director at Emory Angiographic Simulation Training Center. Welcome, Dr. Cates. Well, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Today we are discussing the future of interventional cardiology, acute stroke intervention. Dr. Cates, what are the similarities and differences between ischemic stroke and myocardial infarction? Well, in the heart, MI is caused by a plaque rupture with an in situ thrombus forming at the site of occlusion, resulting in decreased blood flow to the end organ, that being the myocardium, and resulting cell death, myocardial necrosis and myocardial infarction. In the brain, the pathogenesis is very similar in that although it's not usually in situ thrombosis, it's thromboembolic phenomenon from either a cardiac source, an aortic arch source, or a carotid source, embolizing to a branch of the middle cerebral artery, occluding full flow, causing ischemia, and ultimately neuronal death. In many ways, a lot of the scientific knowledge that we've adapted over the last 25 years in the treatment of myocardial infarction can now be applied to the treatment of acute stroke, which is really, in many ways, similar to where we were 25 years ago in heart attack treatment. Review that with us, please, about the heart attack treatment. Well, at first, in the mid-70s, heart attacks were treated in a similar way to where we treat strokes. Patients came in in variable periods of time after the onset of the event. They were hospitalized. We put them in the ICU, we watched them, and we saw whether or not they recovered or they did not. Ultimately, they had very prolonged hospital stays, went to rehabilitation, and subsequently either survived or went into long-term care facilities. In the early 80s, we had the onset of thrombolytic therapy to go in and dissolve blood clots and provide us with the first acute treatment for myocardial infarction. That had variability of success, and still timing of getting patients into the hospital was some of an issue. Subsequently, we started using balloon angioplasty and coronary stenting to acutely manage heart attack patients and actively mechanically remove the inciting thrombus and occlusion. That has become the standard of therapy today for acute MIs, and we have worked with EMS systems and patient education systems to increase the awareness of acute MI symptoms and get first responders to immediately bring them to the hospital and mobilized systems within the hospital to move the patient from the emergency room to the cardiac cath lab for this acute therapy. And we've even started measuring things like 
door to balloon times, where we measure the time for the patient hitting the ER to the time that we have them in the cath lab and are opening their artery as a measure of quality. And what are some of those times? Well, certainly less than 90 minutes is, is a standard, and less than 30 minutes is the optimal. And the results to the patients? And the results have been a dramatic reduction in mortality for myocardial infarction and for morbidity of patients in long-term care. So we've had now a problem with uh, patients living too long in many ways, in many ways of our society. We have elderly patients that are living a lot longer than they did a generation ago, primarily as it relates to treatment of these vastly complicated coronary patients and acute MI treatment. Dr. Cates, specifically for myocardial infarction, why is that window such a relatively short period of time? Because heart is muscle and time is muscle. And the quicker we can get the artery open, the more salvage of myocardium we have. A similar sort of scenario is just evolving for the brain. Time is brain. The longer the occlusion is allowed to continue within the brain, the more of the brain cells die irreversibly. And that causes patients not to be able to be functional again and not recover that function. So our approach now is to develop a lot of the techniques and technology, much like we did in the heart, to treat now brain attack in the same way. So clearly the emergency rooms have to be retrained in terms of getting these patients through the triage system into the hands of someone like yourself, yes? That is true. And in fact, we are really where we are with the advent of thrombolytic therapy, where it is now a standard to try to treat patients within the first three hours of an ischemic stroke with thrombolytic therapy. The problem is patients don't arrive within three hours at most institutions. They then need to go to the CAT scan unit to have a head CT to make sure there's not a bleed because that would be a contraindication to thrombolytic therapy. By the time all that happens, the patients are usually out the recommended three-hour window for safe administration of thrombolytic therapy. With techniques like acute stroke intervention using balloons and stents and retrieval devices where we can suck out clots or pull out embolic debris, we can extend that window to maybe 12 hours and truly make an impact on patients because there are worse things than dying and one of them may be a major stroke. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment on future medicine on the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Christopher Cates, Assistant Professor at Emory University School of Medicine and the Director of Vascular Intervention at Emory University Hospital and Crawford Long Hospital and the Medical Director at Emory Angiographic Simulation Training Center. Today we are discussing the future of interventional cardiology, acute stroke intervention. Dr. Cates, how will we actually deal with these patients who come in with acute strokes? Well, right now, if patients come in within a three-hour window from the onset of symptoms and they have an acute embolic stroke versus a hemorrhagic stroke, which must be documented by CT, then we are able to give them thrombolytic therapy to go in and dissolve the clot, which has an efficacy of approximately 50% to 65% recanalization rates. We hope that in the future, with other techniques that we've learned 
from the heart applied to the brain with balloons and stents and retrieval mechanisms to suck out clot, that we'll be able to extend that window out to 12 hours and also improve the efficacy of the technique to recanalize the artery from 65% to 95%, much like we've done in the heart with interventional cardiology techniques like balloon angioplasty and stenting in acute MI. Are you working with the neurosurgeons in this regard? Absolutely. There are a number of different types of specialists that will be involved in this, both neurosurgeons, neurologists, vascular surgeons, radiologists, neuroradiologists, and interventional neurologists. All will have to work together with stroke neurologists to treat these patients effectively as teams. Now, we talked before about the window dealing with myocardial infarction and that the heart is a muscle. In terms of the brain, how could you extend that period of opportunity from three hours to many hours? Well, the brain has a lot of collateral network. That it means multiple blood supplies interconnecting throughout the circle of Willis. As we'll remember in medical school, the circle of Willis gets supplied from both the carotid arteries as well as the vertebral arteries through the vertebral basilar system. And in patients with an intact circle of Willis, all those blood supplies can reach most regions of the brain. In addition, the brain has collateral or branching blood networks involving the thalamic arteries and the meningeal collaterals along the surface of the brain that can provide some extended window of brain viability until you can get the primary blockage open using interventional techniques. So it affords probably a larger window than we have with the heart where there's really less collaterals inherent within the system. Are the thrombolytics you use in the brain the same as you use in the heart? Absolutely. In fact, a lot of the early techniques and technology and approaches to heart attack have now been adapted to brain attack. And so we're really going through the same evolution that we did 25 years ago in the treatment of heart attack, now with brain attack. And I think the use of these new interventional techniques will give us a leapfrog advantage and an exponential improvement in patient outcomes when it's applied to acute stroke. Now, is this technique being used throughout the United States and the world? Well, it's being used in pockets. And what the Interventional Cardiology Society, SCANI, is trying to do is mobilize with other societies of medicine that are representing the disciplines that need to work together as a team to organize this under a regional system and a regional registry study where we with CMS and FDA can consistently gather information so that we can understand what are the best practices, which techniques and technology work in what patients, what are the team logistics that are necessary to do this well, and get that information in an organized environment where we can, as a society and multiple societies of medicine, make guidelines, suggestions as far as what is best practice and what is the best for patients. In what situations, Dr. Cates, would you not wish early reperfusion? Well, certainly, if in fact there is a bleed instead of an embolic stroke, then obviously increasing the blood flow to an area of a bleed would be a problem. So those sorts of areas may be counterproductive. In areas where there are strokes of longstanding, meaning maybe 
over 12 to 18 hours, actually increasing the blood flow by opening an occluded artery may cause hemorrhagic transformation of that ischemic stroke into a hemorrhagic stroke and could lead to patient mortality. Why does that happen, sir? Well, we think it's probably damage to the small vessels within the brain and a damage in the blood-brain barrier that allows when increased perfusion pressure hits those capillary beds for those capillaries to leak and ultimately to rupture and cause brain hemorrhage. I want to thank Dr. Christopher Cates, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the future of interventional cardiology acute stroke intervention. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill. And you have been listening to a special segment about future medicine on the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to a special series, Insights in Future Medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.